Welcome to Conversations with Quiet Leaders. My name is Juliet Morris. I believe there is greatness in leading and building teams through powerful listening, what's being said and what's being heard. In this podcast, you'll hear from quiet leaders who are being more bold, more brave and more comfortable with who they are. So today I'm delighted to welcome Neil Armand to the podcast. Uh, And Neil has spent over 25 years in the beverage and food industry having graduated in biochemistry from the University of Nottingham. And much of his career has been focused on protecting brands and ensuring the integrity of supply chains, which is his passion now, using all of his experience to help businesses safeguard their brands and grow sustainably. So welcome, Neil. Um, I think that that paragraph has got so much in it. Um, and I know we're talking about introversion and quiet leadership. I would like to really gather your experience. So wonderful to have you on the podcast. Well, hello, Juliet. And um, it's a real pleasure to be here with you. And, and thanks for inviting me. So um, uh, and, um, you know, it's a, an inspiring series you're you're doing here of podcasts. So it's um, yeah, real pleasure to be part of it. Mm, thank you. So if I go back perhaps to my early days as a start, because, you know, m- much of who we become originates for our youth. I, I was um, born in the UK in a, a small market town. Um, I guess I was fairly quiet lad, uh, wore glasses from the age of 10 and probably was was mocked a little bit for for being the brainy one of the class as I as I went to senior school nothing serious but you know quite common when when you're at school um and uh, but I had quite a balance so I played football hockey squash quite a lot of team stuff uh, but also like the quiet time so you know I was really interested in chess and reading and um play golf as well which is um you know kind of balances between people and being on your own Uh, and also kind of really got into music and radio in my teens which I think kind of became a a theme uh, for for later life um I moved then to um, university. I did maths and science A levels. Um, again, you know, quite quite typical for people of that age. Put in a huge amount of of hard work, which, which probably drove me to be kind of you know spending a lot of time on my own. You know, working really hard for those exams. And I guess at that stage, although I probably wasn't necessarily part of big friendship groups naturally part of those groups I had quite a yearning to be because I you know I enjoyed going out on a Saturday night with people and spending time with people so I wasn't um uh, particularly a loner but um you know maybe sometimes found it a little bit difficult to Mm. get into those groups and then from there I went as you said in the introduction I studied a a science degree at at university um which uh, you know is a very technical degree uh, and you know in my timetable I only had a Wednesday afternoon free but you know one of the things I did there was um spend some time um on the university radio station which kind of for me was a huge kind of move from the sort of person I'd become and I'm I'm sure we'll talk about that kind of later in in the session um from there I it was strange really because I had um a desire to go into the 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 
either sales or marketing um, or, or running pub chains. Um, and and um, I applied to a number of big organizations to kind of do either one of those. Um, but it was a struggle in some of those assessment centers and and it was hard going. And, and um, in the end, um, I, I'd applied for Britvic, who I got to their assessment center for sales and marketing. And, and at the end of the two days, somebody pulled me to one side and said, look, Neil, um, we think you're great, but we just don't think you're for sales and marketing. <laughs> so, um, but they said, look, we, we've, we've had, um, we've got two spaces on a graduate program for somebody who's technical um, and, you know, you kind of fit that bill. Would you be interested? And um, two more interviews and a lot more perspiration later, I, I got on to, to, to a graduate program with them. And kind of the rest is history for me. So that gave me the chance to to kind of, I suppose, use my science background a bit, uh, but almost immediately became involved in leading teams and people um, and, you know, spent a, a career in that whole space of, you know, really looking after the quality and the safety of products and supporting the teams who who run these brands um and you know leadership's been a really important part of that journey for me i was curious to hear from you is did you did you recognize then that not just that you weren't suited for it but perhaps it was because of your quiet your quieter edge to it or was it because purely your technical background you know you've got really strong math science you've got a degree in biochemistry I do you know uh, at that time um you, you know the world was very different I think you know careers guidance was very limited um and genuinely as you're you're leaving to go into the world from school um you know, you didn't really have, and certainly I didn't have, um, really great insight into what the roles and careers were. And a lot of the um, the, the milk round schemes or graduate programs that were in place often were heavy on the commercial and sales and marketing type roles. So I didn't really give too much thought to it and kind of almost fell into wanting to do that, probably without looking at myself and who I was in too much detail. When did you appreciate that you were more of a quiet leader and an introvert? So when I joined Britvic, um, I was given the opportunity to study for a certificate and diploma in management. And part of those studies covered things like psychology and and, and other aspects of kind of leadership and, and management. And it was at that time, actually, I came across for the first time something like the Myers-Briggs type um, indicator, which looks at personality type. And really then started to understand that actually I'd been very naive up until that point. You know, there are very different individuals in this world and actually there were systems for categorizing them. And you know, from that point onwards, it, it kind of unlocked some things for me because I realized that, um, yeah, it, it probably explained some of the challenges I had. So, you know, when I was when I was applying for jobs and in assessment centers, 
you know, everybody's jumping in uh, to kind of be the first one to say something, put their ideas forward and and and, and sort of shape the thinking. Uh, and that was something that, again, back then was, was a real challenge for me. But suddenly there was something here in front of me that, yeah, just kind of unlocked um what the human mind's about what individuals are about what the variety of people um around us are like and the need for kind of tools and techniques to kind of both be that person but also help lead teams with those individuals in it and it, it is an awareness isn't it and an un- unlocking because um i remember when i because i studied myers briggs um i did the qualification and whilst a lot of people say it puts labels on actually it creates that self-awareness of a how you operate b how you can pull on those levers of your strengths that you have and also um how you how you show up with much more intention into the space you're in and so i'm i'm curious as to you've got strong management and leadership experience you've worked across the globe um, particularly in the tea trade, you know, where you you mentioned before where you worked in India and China with those producers who different cultures, different backgrounds. And then you worked across um, the rest of the globe with colleagues. How was your experience in that as a leader of multiple teams? So. Some things are are the same the world over, uh, and and I think you know it's easy sometimes when you go down the the looking at too much into the cultural aspects of of leadership and management that you can try too hard i mean i know i spent plenty of time working with um teams over in china particularly um where we had a manufacturing operation and it, the simple things are really very very important um you know, you're sharing with people what the business is doing, how you and their team um, impact on what the business is doing and the performance of that business. And you share information openly um, and you talk through the importance of, of their roles in, in what the business is doing. Um, you know, those sorts of things are important, whatever country you're in mm-hmm. and wherever you are in an organisation. The experience in China was also very interesting because, you know, generally uh, the individuals who are working with there, you know, there generally is a sort of a quietness to the individuals um, and um, quite often, um, you know, a silence or quietness around those people. Um, but you know huge intelligence and huge passion and 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 a huge desire for for hard work um but one of the things that you know i definitely experienced was kind of easy to misunderstand the signs and the signals and the cues um but that's because you know you're with people who you know have grown up in a country that that's eight nine thousand miles away and and you know, the rules of the game, so to speak, are very, very different. Um, and and so in, in some ways, that kind of quiet leadership piece, you know, very clearly was relevant in, in that sort of operation. 
in other markets where you know you're talking to people particularly in the commercial teams in some of the more western markets um you, you know again you're just relying on on some of your own tried and tested tools to kind of get the input that you need but you know not 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 trying to sort of fight for that airspace all the time which is something probably we'll talk about as the conversation goes on but huge opportunity to see different cultures and snippets of those cultures so that's a nice little segue because that was going to be my next question is having been more aware of the Myers-Briggs and your you know how you unlocked then you know the things that you felt were important to you how did what did um that recognition change your approach to your life and the working business world? Yeah, for sure it did, because what it did is it opened my eyes to to something that I'd probably been very naive about. As I say, I grew up, you know, fairly isolated when I look back and think about where we were geographically in a small town. Um, and, um, you know, I was very much a scientist and, and worked hard in that space. But, you know, what? one of the other things I did very early on in my career was uh, I was very interested in the quality aspects of, of the role. And um, I I bought a book having um, been guided to, to somebody um, who had done a huge amount of, of work in that space. He was an American, um, Edwards Deming, and he'd done a huge amount of work with the Japanese through the 60s and 70s and 80s. And I got hold of his book that effectively was his life's work. And um, this is quite important because there were a couple of chapters where it wasn't the chapter of text that was important. It was the quote at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, there were a couple of them that that really resonated with me and still do to this day. And, and I've got a couple of them here. You know, some man holdeth their tongue because they dare, uh, they they have not to answer. And some keep silence knowing their time. A wise man will hold their tongue till they see opportunity, but a babbler and fool will regard no time. And as somebody who'd, you know, been relatively quiet in a group and had, had been kind of surrounded and bombarded by words, then, um, you know, something like that suddenly really resonated um, because this was somebody who'd made profound change, but really using kind of data and analysis and, and kind of using that to to, to shape leadership um, for his whole career and, and being um, um, really successful. And then the second one was, um, as somebody observed, where an idea is wanting, a word can always be found to take its place. <laughs> and I, I still this day remember reading that so what what impact did that have on me well I think it just reminded me that you know particularly in the space I was working in that it it, you know data you know a a solid foundation for taking action was really important and actually you know there's a huge amount of noise around often people you know have got very strong views do you do x you do y do you do z but actually the reality is it's got to be founded on 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 solid data uh, and information and actually you don't need lots of noise to, to to do that but what you do need to do is be able to create the compelling case and then find your moment in time to be able to deliver that view uh, and of course in a leadership position um, that is 
you know, particularly critical when you're perhaps in a space where you know you might be in a, in a larger group of team uh, and in a situation perhaps where as I in the latter phase of my career have been, you know, the one introvert in the room versus nine who are very strong on the extrovert scale. Um, but if I reflect on on the you know the work I've done, you know that that whole piece about just making sure that both myself as an individual, you know, I don't need to fight to fill airspace. I can be surrounded by people who are capable of doing that and sometimes without much value but it's about finding the moment to find the right words the key message to, to land um really what it is that you want to say and that's something as well i've i've encouraged my team and teams along the years to do because again you, you know for me that kind of credibility really comes from finding the moment to present the message and shape and influence the thinking and influence that key decision. The space that you've been operating in, having quieter, detailed focused individuals who who do need to, you know, really analyze the data, you know, see the patterns and and come to a conclusion to be able to build that case. How have you helped them elevate their career, their their voice, all of that that's needed for the industry? Just before we 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 started to talk uh, in the live session, we we were talking about the number of introverts, and um, mm. you know it's really interesting that actually when you do the analysis, the world is roughly fifty fifty split between those who are the introvert type and those who are the extrovert type, and so whilst Probably early on, I, I might have sort of taken the view that and, and thought of myself as being unusual in, in being an introvert type. The, the practical reality is the world is full of them. And actually, almost, as we've just said, half the population is. So in, in the context for me and particularly my team, you know, half the people you'll be working with will also be introvert or indeed extrovert in, in terms of that Myers-Briggs scale. So you just need to find ways of being able to work your magic, uh, work your relationships um, and have impact, you know, with that split population. And when you start to then look at it like that, I think things become a little bit easier. In, in the end, I think it's down mainly to relationships, understanding who those key stakeholders are, and understanding what it is that that they want. So, you know, my teams would often be working with brand teams and marketeers, you know, to support them on their advertising or their labeling and what they wanted to do. Well, you know, those people working on those brand plans were probably quite different individuals to those in my team. But actually, over time, I saw some fantastic relationships develop. Um, people just needed to spend a little bit of time thinking about the audience, thinks about what made others tick. Um, but also, I, I think what's absolutely key and has been a, a story that I've I've messaged time and time again is that actually whoever you are in the business and whoever you're working with you should all be working 
to that absolute same objective. And often there can be tensions and mismatches and of expectation and misunderstanding. But actually, in any one organization, you should all be working to that one same objective. So if you can find and make sure you're aligned with that, then actually those those relationships become a lot easier. So does it all come down back to awareness? Yeah, and I think there were two types of awareness. There's that self-awareness, that awareness of, of who you are and how perhaps you best work and, and what the watchers are. But it also relies on others to be aware of those around them. And and that's where culture then becomes so important um, that people are encouraged to think in those terms and think more holistically about you know what the organization is is trying to achieve i think the other thing though that i've reflected on and and has probably come more apparent over time is that you know introversion is used to describe more than one thing and and so you have the shyness aspect of introversion, which I think is something I definitely had when I was younger, but has probably got less as I've grown older. Whereas the intro, and, and that's what people can often see, the introversion of a Myers-Briggs type where you're looking at kind of where you're getting your energy from and, and, and where you're getting your recharge from is often not seen and understood or, or even misunderstood in in the context of introversion and I think as, as my career's gone on I've kind of really started to fully understand what that means um, and and what that means for others as well and I think when we went into lockdown uh, and you know the number of meetings for example we moved to online mm. but the number of meetings just exploded and you could see people around you being almost non-stop in meetings I think and there's still I think concerns you see a number of organizations who are working to reduce and, and eliminate certain meetings reduce the number overall but I think for that introvert group that that's actually key and a really important aspect because the battery just goes down and down and down and down without finding that really important time to recharge. Um, and even as an introvert, you might not necessarily see that and realise what's going on, but it does impact performance for sure. Mm, yeah, absolutely it does. How would you encourage people who realise their energy is depleting at the end of the day and they probably don't recognise the meetings or that they know they are an introvert? So I was always very clear with my team that, you know, people around them will happily fill their diary um, <laughs> from the morning to the evening. And really, it, it, it's for them, it's for me as an individual to make sure I have control, they have control over that diary. There are some things that, of course, are non-negotiable, probably. But in the main, you know, whether it be, you know, making it a 45 minute or 50 minute meeting and at least giving yourself 10 minutes to the next meeting or whether it's like twice a week, just having a totally meeting free afternoon, whether it's sort of setting aside a time in the diary, which is you time and, and not to be disturbed. But of course, that's just the um, the, the working em environment. But I think, 
you know that's really important and and all people have got to be encouraged to support that thinking mm. because even if you're an extrovert to be honest um it, it you know there's a lot of work and a lot of studies showing that things like meetings just really mean your effectiveness yeah becomes less and less as the day goes on but i think the the other aspect is is how you use you know time more generally be it you know on the fringes of work in work and also on the outside of work and i think when i reflect on my career I, I did quite a lot of traveling um, and, and much of that traveling, let's say it was long haul, um, was quite often just on my own. And and probably what I didn't realize um, at the time, but as I reflect now, is actually one of the benefits of that, although, you know, I enjoyed spending time with people and teams wherever I went and, and, and loved the interaction and the time, one thing it did give me automatically was time on my own because at the end of the day you might be on your own for a night you, uh, or you're traveling through airports you're on your own um, and actually that probably was one of the things that helped me recharge but without really realizing if, if that makes sense and it was probably only once we got to lockdown and all that stopped um, and then the pressures of other things mounted that you know I realized actually you know, keeping that time and creating that time to keep the batteries charged um, is is really, really important. So whether that now is to kind of just go out for a walk for a bit or, um, you know, just read or, or, you know, I've started to do some art in the background now or or even, you know, strange that it might sound, you know, I've a couple of times in the last sort of 12, 18 months actually just gone out and camped um on my own under the stars but actually um you, you know the recharge you get from that can be absolutely um incredible individuals have to do that themselves you know you can't make somebody do that and, and people have got to kind of understand the need and then build that time in because as i say the challenge is in this day and age so many people will bombard you for your time and your energy and um, to be most effective you've got to guard that in in some way yeah that's a really good points and I, I think I always preferred getting the train into work if I can if I was traveling to London and it but it wasn't about getting on the train it was about I could put my headphones on and just have some time to read or doodle or write or do something and in a in a world where we actually we some of us want to carry on working from home. We like that space because we've been able to create it. Like you said, you've been able to go out for a walk or um, find some stillness or s s from somewhere. It, it's not about the, the commuting time. It's about the space that we give to ourselves. And that is really important, really mm. important. So great point. Yeah. and But by the way, if I was working from home 100% of the time, I think I would actually go so crazy. So, <laughs> so the, there is there yeah. is an aspect for me, again, where that balance has to be found. And yeah. um, even even for an introvert, I think, um, you know, you again, this isn't about ends of a spectrum. It's about mm. finding your comfort place um, mm. and, and recognising, again, going back to that central point that, you know, in an aligned organisation, you've got to work with people to, to deliver, 
you know, on that mission and vision for that organisation. And, and you can't do that in isolation. Well, it's, as your point earlier, is finding the places that fill you with energy, balance of being on your own, with people, that connection, you know, whatever it is, it's getting that right. And it's all individual. I remembered your point for, at the start of this conversation about your radio station. Tell, tell me a bit more about that. My interest in music didn't really start until my my sort of early mid-teens. And um, I, I sort of caught up with the interest big time. And I you know, loved music, listened to the radio and, and, and really loved it. And even had a, a go at being a DJ. I DJed for one of the school discos one Christmas, <laughs> which was totally anathema to anything I should have done but I, I had a real love of music and had seen that done and and so when I um, was getting ready to go to university they sent out this newspaper ahead of time and you know then the, the, there was an article on the, on the radio station and um, I just set my mind on it and said right well that's what I'm going to do got there signed up in the freshest week where do I go and um, the guys were great my colleagues there were great they um, they you know they gave me some training and and by the first Christmas, I'd got my own show. And actually, in the end, over the three years, I, I did something like 200, just over 200 shows. And I learned a huge amount. I mean, that that's one of those times when, you know, forget the academic learning that's going on for a moment, but the learning opportunity in terms of how that station ran commercially, what those interpersonal challenges were, but also, you know, that need to kind of plan and organise. And I wasn't one of these people who would just kind of rock up with five minutes to go, switch the mic on and then start going. That wasn't my nature. And so often, you know, I, I was, you know, I remember the the main show I did on a Saturday morning was for two hours between 10 and 12, but I would be there at eight o'clock preparing for for the two hours at 10. Um, And, you know, that kind of level of preparation was was important for me one to deliver a good job. And I think also to, to, you know, make sure that, uh, yeah, well, I was doing something special and, and kind of, you know, rewarding people with, with that preparation. But it gave me a huge amount of skills that actually I took on with me thereafter mm-hmm. um, in terms of planning and organising that ability to work on a voice and project it and, 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 you know, deal with things that you're not expecting when they come up, you know, live on air or whatever. Um, but also a huge amount of fun as well. And, and, you know, engaging with people through the journey. So it was a little bit strange, I think for people and a lot of people looked back in those days and said, goodness, really, did you really do that? But yeah, I did and, and loved every minute. And it was an amazing time of life to have have such an opportunity in such a professional setup as well I love that and 200 shows is a lot it's a lot what was it on I really mixed it up actually I mean we had a, a sort of a timetable of shows um but the 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 two I, I mean I did three types of show one was a breakfast show which was kind of mainly about news and music and and stuff I did an evening show where actually I kind of 
got people phoning in to guess the year which nobody else was doing and we had loads of people phoning in and <laughs> and and also going back to you know decades you know playing music from the 60s and so on which, which wasn't normally played and it's amazing how that got people going and then the main one was the chart show which was uh, on the saturday morning for two hours and just kind of playing the records that people had been buying and 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 um, we'd been playing on the station in the week um, and you, you know it was done to um, a, a very high standard a, across the board and and some of the people I'm still in touch with uh, are actually people who were colleagues at that time mm-hmm. uh, working together um, on on the station but yeah I mean it was a full kind of two hours and um, it you know was high energy as well or at least you had to keep that energy going for the two hours even if you didn't necessarily feel like <laughs> it on the on, on the day but it was a great antidote to kind of all the other hard work that was going on and I I think for me that was you know a really important antidote to that as well. Fantastic experience thank you for sharing. So Neil what uh, what's your mission your big dream for the future? That's a big question isn't it that's a big (laughs) question. I, I think what I want to do is well, look, so firstly, I have two daughters and, and I think for me, um, you know, they're, they're growing up in a world that is not easy at times. So, you know, my vision for them is to see them successful, working hard and, 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 and you know, gaining from that. But also, I think to make sure that the world they are growing up into and the world that, you know, I'm privilege to be in at the moment is one that you know is there for a very long time to come and so I think for me what I want to do really is just kind of build on what I've been able to learn and bring to the table to date and use that in as many ways as I can um, going forward so whether that be in a way that helps lots of businesses achieve things um particularly in this space of food and drink because you know there's a huge challenge that we know is ahead of us you know by 2050 um we're going to have nine billion Mm -hmm. uh, mouths on the planet to feed and um the challenge of doing that is absolutely huge and it's going to require a lot of collaboration, a lot of innovation um, and a lot of hard work. And so, you know, I think for me, the challenge is to make sure that what I've learned and we, you know, can be put to, to great use in that space and either directly in terms of, you know, making and delivering that safe food much of it for a population that's under utilized under thought of at the moment particularly in places like sub-saharan africa um or, or also you know i can't help but being touched by all the work that's going on in that sustainability space at the moment which we all individually play a part in but again corporate organizations and governments do as well so i think for me making a difference in that space is really important and so if that was a, a kind of a mission, I suppose that would be one. I think the second aspect is that, you know, I've learned a huge amount through a unique opportunity in my life. And 
what I'd like to do is be able to help others learn from it and particularly you know those who are much younger you know maybe coming through you know starting their careers maybe naive to what a career might look like um because you know my younger self I think would have relished that really and and so being able to kind of help others you know be their best self not not through directly supporting them necessarily but you know maybe mentoring or or just kind of you know being able to offer some sage thoughts and reflections on on the life I've had. And I think even more important when we talk about food and drink is not just the mouths to feed, but all the political barriers and hopefully opportunities too that surrounds that, particularly for us in the UK, but all of those constraints that are happening around those discussions and those collaborations right now is going to be even more important. Yes, definitely. And and I think having an international perspective is is really, really important. And, you know, the events of the last four or five years in this country has meant that we've probably adopted a little bit more of an isolationist approach Mm -hmm. in things. But the reality is when you're making products here and you want to export them or sell them anywhere in the world, then um, that can be a huge, huge challenge. I mean, it's a huge challenge just because laws are different in different countries. Mm. And I've again, I've spent a lifetime needing to understand that degree of difference. And, and, and governments remain far apart in how they align um, their thinking on some topics. Um, but what that means is that, you know, there's huge challenges for industries who do want to scale up and become international or even global. Um, and, and I think it's an aspect that people really don't think about uh, unless you're a player in the industry you probably don't think too hard about how far your food has traveled um how international some of these brands may be almost like that comfort and the expectation that we can go into the shop and just buy anything because that's what has happened over the last 20 years but things are changing quite rapidly because the climate change and everything else so yeah it's very interesting isn't it so to wrap us up neil what are your uh top three tips for people listening whether it's in the food and drink industry or as an introvert or more generally I think my thoughts here uh, Juliet actually don't necessarily have to apply to introverts because I think when I was thinking through this um, I was thinking of an introvert but as I look at what I've said actually I think it applies to anybody so number one I think there is only one you and you have to be you, you have to be authentic, um, and you don't have to chase the crowd. And by that, I mean, you know, you don't have to chase either fitting in or, or, or you know, being like others. You know, you should relish who you are, celebrate who you are, uh, and be authentic as a person. I think you know, the second one, and this probably is aimed at introverts, but actually, this is relevant for anybody else. Choose your words. You know, practice speaking. And, you know, we talked about, you know, just warming up. We had a laugh uh, mm. as we started about, um, you know, warming up when you talk. But actually, those things are really helpful because if you're somebody who maybe doesn't have a lot to say or don't want to take up a lot of airtime, what you say, is really really important 
as is how you're how you're saying it. So choose your words, be positive, be focused and be clear on your key message. Uh, but but, you know, practice doing that so you're comfortable um, in doing that. And then I think the third one is 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 probably at a really personal level, really do make sure you charge those batteries because, you know, your family need you, whoever you are, as a fully charged person working as close as you can to 100%. And your organization, if you're working directly for an organization, if you're working for yourself, you you need to be uh, with fully charged batteries as well. Now, what works for you to get those batteries charged, it works differently for different people, but find the time to charge those batteries, look after yourself. Lovely. That was brilliant. Thank you so much, Neil, for your words of wisdom and and your insights to the industry. Yeah, thank you, Juliet, and I really appreciate the invite. So thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you for listening. I love to talk and work with people and businesses who want to achieve more. I challenge their thoughts to create possibility. Anyone can be part of the conversation. Leave me a message, ask a question and connect with me. 